Beyond the Wrench with Jay Ganinen from Wrenchway. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Beyond the Wrench. I am your host, Jay Ganinen. And today I have with me Arun Kumar, who is the founder and CEO of Driven Capital Partners. And we'll have a lot of really, really great insight for us on the business of service and just a lot of really, really good tips in general. Before we get started, is there a topic you would be interested in hearing on Beyond the Wrench? If so, send us a message telling us any topics you'd like to hear or guests that you'd like to have on the show. We are always interested in the insight of our listeners and always open to suggestions on ways that we can improve the show and get more really good content out for you to listen to. So we'd love to hear from you. If you have any ideas and want to reach out to us, feel free to do so. Arun, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for did having I get, me Did I get the pronunciation right? You did. <laughs> all right. All right. So it, we, we were able to talk ahead of time. It, it, it's a unique name, but it's really cool and, and uh, had a, a really cool story behind it. But I want to focus on your your automotive background. I think it's really fascinating what you've done so far in your life. And, and I think <laughs> you've set yourself up for a, a really successful career moving forward as well. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So from college, we'll start there. I, I, I found, I went into college thinking I was going to be a lawyer, tried out political science as a major, didn't like all the reading that came with that, had no interest in the subject, and then found the business school and was able to take an economics class as part of fulfilling core requirements and absolutely just clicked in my head, it made sense. And from there, I pursued transfer into the business school and then got the chance to explore all the different subjects at my disposal. At the time, the easiest one, and that's pretty much all I focused on, and the easiest one was accounting. And I could basically do it in my sleep. It was just very easy for me to understand the way accounting works and, and the numbers behind it, how to get everything to balance, and just how to keep track of a business's finances. So I... I kind of waltzed through the accounting program and graduated, got my CPA, went to work for a big accounting firm in a specialty practice and found that while I enjoyed the work that I was doing, which was very complex accounting transactions, working on huge companies, billions of dollars worth of transactions, I didn't really necessarily care about the clients at the end of the day. And I knew that what I was doing was going to affect this single mini line item number on page 85 of a financial statement. And so although I enjoyed the work, I didn't really see the point of the value that I was adding to society from it. And, you know, early in my career, I was really, really focused on doing well in my career, just everything, career, career, career. And when I failed to make that connection in value, I started to look elsewhere for, for fulfillment. And I've always loved cars. And up until 2018, that didn't really mean much more than I memorized Top Gear, knew every single car that I could see on the road. And I had been a customer of several automotive shops over time, just owning a couple of different cars, crashing a couple of different cars, working with body shops, working with a blown transmission on my 2003 Passat. My first car was a W8, definitely not the kind of thing you give to a 16-year-old, but that was what I had. And, you know, just getting the opportunity to, to experience that world of automotive and kind of always knowing it was there, but never getting too involved except just as a customer. In 2018, I moved out of San Francisco and, and got my own hobby project car, you could say started to really delve into that and began to experience what it's like going and shopping for aftermarket parts, trying to figure out whether I should do something myself or hire a shop to do it. And it became this much larger fascination for me where I saw an industry that didn't have a lot of business behind it. And you could kind of see that my thinking was always, if this company really wanted to maximize customer satisfaction and have me come back and buy more, why didn't they include instructions 
or if this shop really wanted me to be satisfied with and confident in their expertise and with my experience, why did they tell me that deadline and then miss it by a week? And it was through experiences like that and talking with the owners of those companies, just because I was hanging out because I wanted to live vicariously through the industry that I realized that I could actually help. And so still in 2018, I started working with automotive aftermarket businesses in a capacity of, I'm your business advisor. Let's look at your customer service policy and let's see, you know, this car that's been sitting here for six months and the customer doesn't pick up the phone anymore. Why haven't you charged storage on that to make them come pick it up or do a mechanics lien on it so you can get it out of here? You know, those are options available to you and you're just not taking them. Or, you know, this car just got dropped off and you're scrambling to order parts that you should have ordered three days ago because this customer has been booked for a month. They're really excited to drop their car off with you and they've traveled really far and they're going to, they're planning their life around this three day window in which you have their car, but you didn't order the parts. And, and so let's put a policy in place where you get the parts ordered and you verify at least 24 hours ahead of time that they're there. Those are the kind of things that we were working on. And it went from this part-time thing that I was doing for free and it turned into a business in 2020. And I was kind of fortunate with the way my life turned out at that stage that I was living in London. I was quitting my job to get an MBA and I started this business all in pretty much a two month period. Wow. And instead of going into lockdown shelter in place as it was in London, there was a shop that was nearby that allowed me to get out of my 300 square foot apartment in London. And I began working with them as my first client. And I was a good customer of theirs before that. They did coilovers and a bunch of maintenance work on my cars in London. And that became a really, really solid first experience for me. That's evolved. It was at that time I really created Driven Performance Advisors which was the company that turned into what is now Driven Capital Partners. But Driven Performance Advisors has basically offered these sort of services of, of the business advisor to automotive aftermarket businesses for the past four years, essentially. That is such a fascinating story. And I, I, I've got to ask, your time in London, what are the, the comparables between a European shop, a truly like in Europe shop versus where you're, you know, located at down in California now? Honestly, there's not too much of a difference except for a lot of the words that they use. So for one over there, the word shop means a grocery store or a <laughs> convenience store. And uh, coming from, you know, the U.S. with an American accent to use their word for shop sounds weird, which is garage but it's actually garage. Ah. So they say garage. Everybody owns a garage over there. And that, that along with all the other words, you know, it, it took me a couple of months just to get the translation down, even though technically it's the same language, all the words are different. Right, right. And that, I mean, that can throw you for a loop just in general, but it's really cool to have kind of that background in seeing the world and seeing the different maybe cultures behind shops in general, but then also probably seeing the similarities between all of them, right? There's, you know, the, a lot of them probably, regardless of where they're at, probably have the same problems or same issues in terms of their throughput or in terms of being able to turn around work or collect money, <laughs> anything. I mean, I, I, I've got to imagine a lot of it is very similar. Yeah. And, and so I think what I found, especially in those early days of, of running driven performance advisors, even on a full-time basis, I had learned a lot just from being a frustrated customer and having hours and hours and hours and hours of conversations with shop owners and, and their frustrations. And it, it broke down in my mind eventually. This wasn't, you know, I'm not a business savant. I didn't come up with this immediately as far as a marketing situation. It always breaks down to a lapse in one of three areas or more than one, but it's strategy, operations, and finance. So kind of like you just said, 
The, the problem is you don't know who you should have as a customer or what services you should be offering them. That's strategy. You struggle with throughput. You struggle with hiring. You struggle with customer disputes and you struggle with efficiency. That's operations. And you struggle with budgeting, cash flow, profitability, financing, and all of those areas, and your bookkeeping and taxes, of course. As a CPA, I have to mention that. But <laughs> between all of those, those concepts within finance, those are those are the areas in which I found if you are lacking in one of those areas, it can be one of your biggest pain points. How how much of the, those pain points stem from the fact that the the folks that own a lot of these shops are coming from the fact they're coming from the the passionate side of the car industry right or they're they came with a technical background maybe more so than a a background in business and they got into it because they love cars and they love being able to work on this stuff and and maybe don't have the business background necessary to really run a good business. I, I mean, is that something that you see out there is that maybe they, you know, we always talk about the working on your business rather than in your business. It's something that Michael Gerber has said for years and years and years, but I think it's something that our industry specifically really struggles with. Is that similar in your, your scenarios? So short answer, yes. And the long answer in my example is Driven Performance Advisors focuses mostly on enthusiast-oriented shops and, and other aftermarket businesses. We're members of SEMA, not Apex, for example. And so in that world, especially, you get business owners who are incredible engineers. They've designed some new way of tuning or new suspension parts or fuel pump or whatever it is that enables them to run a very, very lucrative service business because they can open it and install their own products. And on top of that, install everyone else's products. So that's not to say that that's every enthusiast shop out there, but a good majority of them are like that. Then you get all the offshoots of that where, you know, now this person just down the road, 20 miles, you know, it's a closer location for the customers. They realize that they can do the same thing. They probably worked for that initial shop. Now they've gone and done their own thing. I went door to door talking to those shop owners for six months straight. Wow. I was door to door knocking on shop doors saying, can I talk to the owner and getting kicked out of 20% of them, 20% of them having the initial conversation and saying no. And then 60% of them had some sort of conversation. And of that group, I got so many times where there was a, shop owner who came out and said, you know, I'm really busy. I don't have time to talk to you. I can see you're a door-to-door -door salesman. I don't really want to have this conversation. Then they learned that I'm a car enthusiast. And within 20 minutes, they've forgotten everything else that they needed to do. And they're just talking to me about how much, how cool this project is. Even if it's sitting under a tarp in the back of the shop and they haven't touched it in two years, they still think it's the coolest thing in the world. They're really excited to get back to it someday. If only I could find the right help, or if only customers had better expectations, if only my landlord wasn't screwing me all the time. So to answer your question, <laughs> that is where that expertise comes in. You're focused on the car so much. And that's what we need you to do. You know, as a, as a business advisor in the automotive service industry, I have a huge respect for the amount of time and energy just to keep up on the new technology that it takes, not to mention the time and energy that it takes to actually do the work, whether you're dealing with rusty bolts or computers that won't work properly or wiring that's broken and you got to find out where. All of that is stuff that I cannot do. I don't have the skill for it. I don't have the patience for it. I don't have the intellect for it. And I would much rather stay in my domain and able to support you and your talent in that world, because I get it. You know, I have worked on cars. I don't enjoy doing it. <laughs> and so I have a huge respect for it. And I want to pay you for it is the other thing. And so, you know, I don't want you to, to leave listening to what I just said and think, oh, that's my dream customer. You know, he's going to pay, pay whatever I ask him to. He's not going to haggle me. He's not going to complain. 
and he appreciates what I do, but you can make every customer feel that way. And part of it is everything that I've already talked about of, of you either bring in somebody or you take that step back to work on your business and see where you need to improve your strategy, operations, and finances so that you can not be disappointed, deceitful, or delaying to your customers. In, in my experience, everything you're talking about in terms of process and procedure are the things that would allow that that owner that you talked about to actually get to that project, right? Is is being able to have some intentionality and in putting the business together and having that be structured rather than complete chaos, right? Because when you have structure behind it, it gives you one, it gives you comfort that you know it's getting done the right way. Obviously, you have to have the execution on top of the structure. But I think having that coordinated chaos just helps everything so much more and probably frees you up to do some of those projects that you really love, right? And I, I think especially maybe more so on that performance side of thing, it truly is from a, a love of, you know, fast cars or, you know, a, of great performance. And it's it's almost there's parallels there, right? Between working on a car and making it fast and efficient and running well and a business in the same sense is very much that same way. If you do your preventative maintenance on the business, I think you, you can put yourself miles ahead just by <laughs> by actually taking a step back and, and putting some foundation on things, right? You have to go slow to go fast. Yeah. And where that is a hang up for a lot of business owners. And this is where I come from the, the accounting world and I get to get the advantage of knowing finances really well is that a, for a lot of these shops, they're almost living day to day in terms of their cash flow. And even if you are above that, and I would imagine the listeners of this podcast, you know, there's hundred of hundred plus episodes out there where you've been able to take resources and apply it. So hopefully you're not day to day on your cash flow, but maybe this is your first one. And what you can get out of it is at least make the investment to say, I need to better understand where that money is going. Mm. And one of my clients right now is a shop that invests a good chunk of their sales every month into the parts that are going into next month's projects. If you look at their books on a cash basis, it looks like they're not making very much because they're saying, hang on, I just spent all that money on parts. My net income at the bottom line is very low, but that's because all that money is going to be earned next month. So let's say you have a slow month in sales where you didn't get to earn a bunch of parts purchases from the previous month. And then you go into a big production month without as many purchases the average of your bottom line between those two months is what's more meaningful, but you wouldn't know that unless you do the books and understand that. <clears throat> and I'll take one step back on the go slow to go fast point. Once you have done something like that, taken that kind of exercise in place where you can see, okay, here's something I can do to control my cash flow a bit better so I can go slower, maybe focus on spending a week getting all the dusty projects out of the back of the shop that are customer cars that will pay you once you figure it out and you need to spend a day on diagnosis or whatever it is. Here's now you can get comfortable with that seeing a little bit of your cash flow. So start off with the books, at least understand what your cash flow looks like. But then take a step back. Why are you in business in the first place? What are your capabilities? What do you want your life to look like? And what do you want your business to look like? What are you trying to be proud of in 10 years? When you take the time to answer those questions and you look at where you're at right now today, you may see there's a giant gap in that the market and your customers have completely controlled the direction that your shop has taken. And it actually looks nothing like your dream, whether it be the hours that you're working, the fact that you haven't been able to hire anybody who can keep up with you technically or you are just doing work based on the fact that these are the cars that your customers have in your immediate neighborhood around your shop. 
And that's all the marketing that you ever do is you have a big sign out front advertising cheap oil changes or something like that. Like those are the, those are the ways in which your life can be dictated by outside factors, unless you take a look at it from the outside in. And when you ask yourself those questions, you kind of have to take that step out. And so now you're comfortable with your cash flow. You can take three hours of a day where you're not stressed out about getting that car out and ask yourself those questions, write down the answers, read them back to yourself. And then you'll see, okay, you know, right now I am not where I want to be financially. I'm not where I want to be with my family relationships. I'm not where I want to be at work. Here's what needs to change. I am spending 20 hours a day stressed out about work. Let's cut that down to 16. (laughs) How am I going to do that? Do I need a service advisor? Do I need a virtual assistant to handle some of the parts ordering? All of these kind of questions that you can ask yourself as far as the direction that you need to go. This is how you start to define that direction is with these sort of strategic questions. And maybe even more at an elementary level, when you've worked with these shops, how many of them struggle with if maybe they're using QuickBooks, for example, of even having the right inputs into QuickBooks to be able to have proper financials to even be able to read in the first place. When someone like me comes into your shop and says, I can help you with your books and your immediate response is, no, my books are fine. They're fine. I know I've been doing it for years. I know exactly what they look like. It's great. And I come back a month later and I ask you the same question. I come back a month later and I ask you the same question. And eventually I've conveyed my value to the extent that you decide to let me in the door a little bit. And then I look at your books and I can see you're using your personal credit card for business expenses. You have eight bank accounts hooked up in your QuickBooks and like four of them are showing purchases at Nordstrom's or something like that. It's you know, your, your books are only as good as you allow them to be based on the discipline that you take towards every aspect of your business. And if you're exhausting all of that discipline and all of that effort into just making sure the cars are put out and you don't have anybody on the other side, then yeah, it's going to fall short in that way. So yes, I've seen that many times. <laughs> well, and it's it's hard from a business perspective to get a true idea of how the business is doing. You know, it, even if you're good at reading financials, if the data in the financials is not great, and I love the fact that you said the part about using your personal credit card, and maybe in some cases it was because they needed to cover expenses over for the shop to make sure that payroll was made, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And and I think that's where taking a step back and even understanding the importance of clean financials that, you know, there's not a whole bunch of variables and, you know, personal accounts tied to it and maybe even, you know, isolating the business to the business and isolating the personal to the personal and and being able to to get Get to that point to where when you do sit down and read financials, you're actually reading correct data and you're you're actually making business decisions because that's, I mean, at the end of the day, you should be making business decisions based off of that. And if it's mm-hmm. not good data to begin with, you're, you're probably just kind of throwing your head against the wall because things aren't aligning the way that you thought they would. You're absolutely right. And I think the first, one of the first questions that I, ask clients who are newer in business is, do you have a business bank account? And when the answer is yes, that is a big relief for me. And then the question is, okay, did you open it at the same time that you opened your business? Well, no. Okay. So how have you been tracking your spending? Did you transition it all on a very clean date, you know, is there a date in the calendar where you can say all of this is not personal anymore? And that's that's step one is separate your business financials. Then step two is track your business financials. Step three is okay, you've you've tracked it, which means you've gone into QuickBooks and linked your bank account to QuickBooks. And so at least it's pulling the data in there. Now you have to think about how do you want to read those financials? Do you want 
sales just as one line or do you want labor and parts broken out separately? Do you want anything else broken out separately? When I owned a shop over the past year, we did installation of a lot of different kinds of film and detailing. So, you know, a bit more enthusiast oriented shop, vinyl wrap, paint protection film, things like that. I had nine line items for my sales because we had nine different types of products that I wanted to track separately and I wanted to track their margins. And so with that, it was easy to make decisions on, okay, what do I need to market more of? Because it's going to make us more money so that I can pay my guys more so that I can invest in more training for them so that we can offer better benefits. Those are all like real questions and real everyday decisions that your employees care about, that you should care about, that your customers care about, that only is is the kind of decision that you can make when you have real, detailed, clear financial data. Registration is open for our third annual Tech Mission event. Tech Mission is a two-day virtual event that brings together technicians, shop owners and managers, and fixed ops directors to discuss how we can work together to promote and improve technician careers. This year's sessions will ignite and challenge shops to actually take action, working with technicians and schools to elevate the industry. It's completely free to attend, but you must register. Even if you can't attend live, register anyways, and we'll email you the recordings after the event. You can register at wrenchway.com slash events. Link is in the show notes. I can't stress the importance of that enough to be able to see, you know, when you do have those nine different line items of what the, the gross margin is in those line items to be able to tell, you know, if I, I think if, a, if the way I want to phrase this is that if a shop were to take a step back in that industry specifically and look at what truly is profitable, it it may surprise them a little bit, no? Yeah. <clears throat> and I think I, I can't speak to the specific profitability of every single different type of shop and every sure. single different different type of job out there. But I would say that this is where the complexity of cars really comes back into play and where you can help your customers have a better appreciation of this. Because just think about 20 to 40 years ago, and even in the last two decades, what is the common perception of an automotive shop? They're going to steal my car. They're going to steal the change out of my car. They're going to, I need to lock the glove box. I need to make sure that I take pictures of every single corner of it, because if they damage it, they're not going to take responsibility for it. And I need to go through the estimate and the invoice with a fine tooth comb so that I don't get ripped off. That is what at least my whole family and family friend circle would think of automotive shop. And, you know, my whole family is not car enthusiasts. They don't have an appreciation for the industry, nothing like that. So that was what I was taught growing up before I even drove. I knew how to read an estimate because I cared about cars. And so I was the one in there talking to the service advisor, even though I had no idea what they were talking about. And I saw it as, wow, that's so cool. You get to work with cars. And my parents are going, you're going to rip me off and I got to make sure I lock the glove box. And so to change that perception, you absolutely have to take these kind of steps. Because if you're not profitable, then you're going to be stressed. If you're going to be stressed, you're going to cut corners. If you're going to cut corners, you're going to continue to ruin the image of the industry. And that is the logical path that we can walk straight back away from and say, are you profitable? Are you doing what you want to be doing? Let's start with those two. If the first answer is no, then let's start by cutting off your spending and just do the work that's in the shop. (laughs) Once you've done the work that's in the shop, okay, now let's look at is this the kind of work you want to be doing or what can you be doing differently to offer services that you really enjoy doing, that you're good at, that you can do quickly and that you can be profitable in doing because people appreciate your specific expertise in that area. I don't think anybody should be a generalist. 
I think everybody should be specialized on a specific make or on a specific powertrain if we're getting into the world of electric vehicles and that kind of thing now, or a specific, in my enthusiast world, type of work, whether it be performance applications or aesthetic improvements <clears throat> or suspension, racing, and all those different types of disciplines out there, you, you should focus on one. And once you've done that, now you can be profitable. And now that you're profitable, you have expertise that you can invest in with your team. You have more vacation that you can take so that you're less stressed. And all of that leads to you investing in, is it Auto Vitals has, has digital vehicle inspections where you can go in there and take a video of the car before it comes in and the tech can say, okay, this is what I need to do on this car and do the video thing and text it to the customer. Once they've texted it to the customer, customer can approve the estimate. They can check boxes on the, on the system that you've invested in to approve and decline services. And it's a seamless process. You don't need a service advisor spending all day doing, making phone calls and arguing with customers over a price. And the experience on both ends is so much more transparent and it's so much more peaceful and customers have confidence in what you're doing now. Yeah, you're, you're building trust, right? I think so much of a shop and both their marketing approach and the way they do business should be focused on building trust because I don't think you're alone in that experience and the way that you were raised because I do think that's something we fought against as an industry for a long time. And there's, I mean, look, there's still some shops that give you a reason to be skeptical, yeah. right? And I think that's the frustrating part is, is everybody out here really trying to raise the kind of the reputation of the industry, yet there's still some that might not operate as cleanly as they probably should. And I know that's really frustrating to a lot of good shop owners. But in general, I think putting process in place can even make you as a business owner rest assured or a manager rest assured that you're doing the right things. And, you know, so much of this podcast is based on profitability and making your business better. And that is not a bad thing, right? The point of a business is to generate cash. And by generating cash, you're able to offer, you know, for us, we see it with shops all the time. They don't make enough money to pay their techs adequately. So mm -hmm. then you're bringing in a lower, a lower skill level of technician. I, I got to assume in the performance industry, having skilled, really, really good technicians is pretty vital to making sure that you have a good, reputable shop and, and that you can do things in an honest way. And, and so, you know, looking at the performance industry as a whole, I, I think there's so many, so many accurate reflections of every shop that's out there and being able to afford good talent and offer them benefits to take care of their family. You know, I, it just, what in a lot of industries you you don't second guess right you just it's automatic you're going to get those things in our industry that's not the case everywhere and i think that puts a lot of shops behind the eight ball and, and puts them in a in the scenario where they're constantly chasing their tail which is why a lot of people are really frustrated yes i think one of the things you just acknowledged there is there is a pretty big spectrum right now where we have seen the emergence of things like asog podcasts like yours where there are a lot more resources out there from the people who have figured it out over the years and know how to run it better, such that the less successful shop owners can dig their way out just in using their own effort to listen to podcasts on their commute, post in the Facebook groups to ask questions on, on the issues that they're facing. And I'm very grateful for that. And I think that the question that comes up now is, okay, you have, you've crossed the threshold, you're on the mountain of, of success, and you're, you're seeing how you can do things better. So now how do you proliferate that through the industry? And we're doing it. That's the point of this podcast. That's the point of ASOG. That's the point of every other shop owners, Facebook group, and similar podcasts. And and yet, this is still something that we struggle with. And so it has to be a very loud movement that I encourage everybody who's listening to be involved in of 
now that you get it and you saw that one thing that helped you change, like go share that with your neighbor. Don't just get on the Facebook group where everybody's already in there having been self-selected. You know, I think this is a very competitive industry and it would be less competitive if more people specialized. But if you go talk to your neighbor and you say, how are things? And they say, get out of here. You know, I don't want to talk to you. You're my, you're my rival shop owner from next door. Just say, no, no, no. Like I I'm comfortable with how I'm doing. I'm sorry if I am threatening to you, but persist. I think people can, can smell bad intention. And if you just persist with, no, I'm really here to help because if you do better then we all do better. And you don't have to say that to them because that kind of points the finger, but just get in there that, that you just are here to check in and that, you know, you want to chat and connect because it's a community of people that we all know exactly what the other, like I, I am a fairly new member of this industry, but I've, I've spent so much time talking to shop owners. The conversations are not different between shop owners. They're all the same. So if that's the case, go commiserate, go have that conversation in which you can talk about the tech shortage or unappreciative customers or whatever it is, then you can strategize and you can say, you know, okay, this person needs to, you know, this tech that's working for me, they actually need lower level experience. I do mostly really complex diags on new European cars. This person's probably better suited for suspension and brakes right now. And I know you do more of that. I don't want to just fire them. I don't have the heart to do that. And that's a serious story that I've heard before. And so I'm just suffering right now because I don't know what to give them. They're just mopping the floors. They're not happy. I'm not happy paying them. How about you take them? And then that frees me up to go hire another tech that that has better experience in the right things that can actually help me. That's a scary thing to do. But that's the kind of thing that helps the whole industry win as a whole. Yeah, I, I think taking that mentality and I've I've heard shops doing that or even, you know, maybe they've got just a, a, an applicant in that same scenario. Right. Maybe not necessarily even working for them. They can't take them on. They then pick up the phone, call their you know rival and will say, hey, you know what? I can't take this person on right now. I talked to them. They seem like really good, really good person. I think maybe you should talk to them. And I think at some point at, at the initial conversation, there's probably some level of skepticism, but I think it could be the olive branch that helps you be able to grow a better relationship and, you know, rising tide lifts all sails. And I mm-hmm. think that that is so true of our industry right now. And I think, I do think in general, we've got to get past that, you know, your neighbor is the the devil, right? Your, your neighbor is somebody <laughs> you don't want to, to, to help get better. But, you know, I've, I've had the fortune of being kind of, I guess, in conversations with shops where they've talked about that and been far more open than even five years ago, right? Where they, in the past, you know, we're not letting any secrets go. This is all staying here. And we're not letting a player go to the other team. I think as the shortage of talent has gotten tough, the technology continues to evolve every single day. I think having friends as neighbors can be a really impactful business strategy. And and like you said, I think there's going to be some level of specialization that's forced, right? You just can't afford to have all the tools or all of the expertise yeah. on everything. And And being friends with a neighbor and saying, hey, I got this transmission job. We're not a transmission shop. We don't like to do transmissions. We'd love it to refer, you know, refer the customer to you or, you know, possibly bring the vehicle to you on on behalf of us. I I just, I think there's a lot of opportunity for that in our industry, a lot of opportunity for growth. And I'm, I'm, it's really refreshing to hear that from you because I do think it's, it's an area that shops could make their lives a lot easier with. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Wrench. At this time, we would like to take a moment to highlight this week's sponsor, Fullbay. Fullbay is an industry-leading software solution for heavy-duty repair shops. Their platform enables shops to receive repair requests, invoice customers, and everything in between. With Fullbay, owners and employees get into the shop, 
get their work done, and get back to their friends and families. To learn more about Full Bay, visit fullbay.com slash runtray. I will also say that with that specialization and also with everybody getting along better, ideally comes something that I think has already happened pretty pretty consistently across the dealer world, dealer service world, which is if you look at dealers versus independents, at least over here, the labor rate is almost double. My my truck's still under warranty, so I take it there because it's free technically, <laughs> but I wait three days before they even look at the truck if there's any issues on it. And I don't have to wait three days if I take it to an independent and I'm paying half the price if it's something that's not covered under warranty, but I took it to the dealer anyway, because I thought it was covered under warranty. <laughs> and it's a, it's a kind of painful experience for me to like concede that the dealer is ever a better option. But the only reason that that is, is financially it makes sense. But as far as expertise and turnaround time and cost and all of that, you know, I would almost rather pay more on a lot of occasions just to get the work done faster. And where I'm going with this is I don't see why the independent can't be more of a dealer alternative competitor, because I've seen that term thrown around a lot in the world. And and this was actually something I did see more in Europe is the concept of dealer alternative because customers are, especially right now, really hurting when it comes to using dealerships for their service work. If you can't get anything done for three days once you've dropped off your vehicle, that's hard. And they don't have loaner cars because their inventory is gone. So they don't even have a base model, whatever, to give you as something to drive around and and maybe entice you to buy it down the road. They don't even have that on their lot. And so let's move towards being more dealer alternatives. The way in which I believe that happens is that you don't need every single person to open their own shop, which is what has happened because everybody says, you know, the the number three tech at some auto repair shop says, hey, I see how much money is on these estimates and how much I'm making in comparison to it. I'm going to go do that for myself. And they get into business and they get in over their head because of everything we've talked about so far. And now they're stuck because they're in a lease. They've got employees. They can't just tear it all down. And it's also a pride thing. However, they have still built something. There's a customer list. There's a team there. You occupy a premises. You've got lifts. You've got tools. The equipment's all there. There's nothing wrong with selling what you, what I just described there, that is a huge asset. Your customer list, your equipment, your team, sell that to another shop owner and say, now you have two locations and you are now capable of operating a business, which is what we're talking about, out of two locations. Everything that you built as the tech that started a shop is still extremely valuable, but now you can consolidate your business operations. So somebody like me comes along, I have half the work now because those two shops are working together. They're on the same ownership. I don't have to go try to sell two different shop owners. I just sell one shop owner and now I'm working with two locations. And that's what I'm moving towards now where I've worked with Driven Performance Advisors for four years and I can see how through German performance advisors, I had the opportunity to buy a shop and work directly with, you know, a very talented installer in the film and detailing world who, you know, we, we worked together for only nine months and we tripled the size of the business. And in doing so, you know, we don't work together anymore, but I'm going to do that again. And I'm going to do that like 10 times over because that is the way to really add value to this industry is consolidation in this world is not a bad thing because what comes with consolidation and being that dealer alternative, you double your labor rate. You've got so much more money now to pay those guys, all your employees who are service advisors, who are techs, who are managers of multiple stores, 
all of them now are compensated fairly and it's more attractive to come into the industry. Now you don't have a labor shortage anymore. And that's what I believe is sort of the future that we're moving towards is you can attract very talented people here because there's plenty of people who are interested in cars and who can appreciate what cars are and what they do. Give them the opportunity to work in that industry. You see it. The, the industry right now has so many young enthusiasts coming in. There's, I'm thinking of places like Ink and Iron has done a really good job of promoting that for women coming into the industry. I, you know, UTI is always this huge giant of producing new talent. I sit on the scholarship committee for SEMA. So I get to review applications for new techs coming into the industry and getting help with their tuition from SEMA. There's so many people who care about this stuff. Let's give them a platform to grow a really successful and satisfying career, even if it's within another company. And even if that company is an independent, that level of consolidation gets us to a point where you do bring in the business with the mechanical side of things and get to a point where it's a business that does have a given benefits, vacation, stuff like that. No working Saturdays. And, uh, and I believe that that's sort of the, the formula going forwards for how we how we really shift the way this industry looks right now. And so much of it is differentiation, right? And and knowing why you're different than all of the other shops that are out there when it comes to the talent side. And I think that helps with the marketing side to customers as well as just having a good understanding of who you are. But having the ability to have flexibility to offer different things is so unique. And, you know, we, we have talked about it in the past on, you know, being able to look at how a tech company offers benefits and flexibility and that kind of stuff. And how do you incorporate that into your shop? Because that could truly be something that separates you and not being so close-minded or old-fashioned to the fact that things change rapidly. And the way that electrification is happening right now and you know just in general the shift in our industry and i think some of it's a kind of back to the wall type of shift because there's a lot of shops that might not have options other than to shift or to change Mm -hmm. and i at some level it's really healthy you know i i think it's stressful it's really hard to change but when you do that i think you find opportunities to make yourself better to make your business better and listen, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I, I don't love change, but it's necessary, right? Like to, to be able to, to evolve along with the industry because it does feel like we've got a pretty, a pretty big shift happening and a lot of it being forced, but it's not all bad, right? Like I think there's a lot of opportunity out there to adapt your business and, and really get ahead of the game in a lot of ways right now. Your your point on differentiation is from a hiring perspective. It's, in my experience, very easy to do that when you approach your role as a hiring person, as an employer, as a leader, because people don't always get that leadership that they want for a role model or, or a guide in their life to help figure out how to make bigger decisions. Because if you're a younger person in today's day and age, there's a shiny penny new opportunity every two seconds that you can jump on, whether it be to make money or have a better social life or, you know, do something out there that brings your life a sort of social status and prestige. Those are all very attractive, gimmicky things that exist in the world. But at the end of the day, there's still this idea of doing something for a long time makes you good at it and valuable to society. That's a really well put. I mean, the way that it was stated was was really good. And I think that's important to understand. And and as we kind of 
wrap up the podcast here. I'm curious as to whether you've got advice for shops that are out there listening, you know, regardless of size or regardless of what they are that could help them today. Like what are, is there something that they could do today that would help them with everything that we've talked about? So I'm, I'm going to frame this in the sense of most of the people listening to this podcast have already implemented a lot of the more simple aspects of, of what I help shops with. And that's having clean books, having a strong, enticing hiring procedure, and having a clean shop that is plays nice with its neighbors and is looks good to customers and those kind of things. The piece that I know, and I know this has been talked about on your podcast before, but the piece that I think comes back to being the most valuable is when you hold yourself to the highest standard that you possibly can, you will see everything around you go up in standard as well. So you can look at your shop, you can make changes in your shop all you want. You can put in another shop, shop management software, you can bring in another accountant, you can bring in another marketing agency to up your car count. Great. Do that all day long. You will see improvements. You won't see truly transformative, life-changing improvement in the performance of your business or in your life unless you take that time to look in the mirror and say, am I doing my best? Am I doing everything that I said I would do? Have I failed on promises to my employees and to my family that I can make up and start there. Start with what you need to hold yourself accountable for today so that you can hold everyone around you more accountable in the future. And that is really good advice, just life advice in general. <laughs> that is great. All right, so where do people find you at? I know you've got a really cool Instagram page that you put a lot of content out into. I know you put a lot of effort into it. And if, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, how do, how do they do that? So LinkedIn and Instagram are the biggest platforms that I use. So Arun Kumar on LinkedIn and then Arun D. Kumar on Instagram. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today to, to do the podcast. It was a lot of really good insight, a lot of refreshing insight, like some different things that even those that are really experienced in, in terms of baseline accounting or anything like that, there's probably improvements that can be seen in, in any shop anywhere, right? And so I appreciate you taking the time to, to, to really walk us through this. And, and it, was, it was a lot of fun, as always. It's a, always a great time talking to you. Yeah, likewise.